In life, it's often important to understand and empathize with those that you may have disagreements with. Within law enforcement, this lack of understanding can have a profound consequence. Today, we're joined by Jason Lehman, founder and executive director of Why Did You Stop Me? His organization, rather uniquely, delivers presentations and perspective to both law enforcement agencies and within schools and communities that these agencies protect and serve. By focusing on trust, respect, and transparency, Why'd You Stop Me focuses on bridging any divides between these two groups. I'm Patrick Hills, National President of Fraternal Order Police, and this is The Blue View. Well, Jason, uh, thanks for coming back and, and uh, sharing uh, sharing some of your views with us uh, on the Blue View. Uh, for those uh, for our listeners and viewers who maybe have not seen your uh, previous podcast with us, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. I uh, spent 16 years in law enforcement working for the Long Beach Police Department and uh, worked a, an amazing uh, career. I got to work on a gang of violent crime suppression team for about seven years, worked in patrol. I did some special details in some other detective units, and then I was able to be the community engagement officer. And it was really at that point where I learned a lot about both traditional and non-traditional community engagement and what works and kind of what doesn't work. I'm still learning today about all of that, but uh, I finished off as a sergeant. I spent three years supervising a group of who I think are the best police officers um, in the United States of America, and there are so many amazing police officers. But during during that time, I created a nonprofit organization called Why'd You Stop Me? And Why'd You Stop Me is centered and focused on helping us to seek to better understand. And, you know, for lack of time, it's really about seeking to better understand the people we perceive as a-holes, right? It's the people that on both sides, a community member could perceive a police officer as a, a mean person or a disrespectful person. And we want community members to understand how to seek to better understand that police officer, because maybe that raise of voice might be for a safety reason, right? And then on the flip side, we want um, police officers to understand that community members come with a little bit of baggage sometimes. History's real, and there's a lot of things that have gone on. So um, police officers are doing a very good job at seeking to better understand people. But I think as a profession, we could do a better job of seeking to better understand the people that sometimes really upset us and sometimes enrage us. And um, whether it be one side or the other, that is usually um, what creates uh, at least low level use of force. And so we want to be able to try and get past some of that stuff and work through it. So our organization created a training system for both police officers and for community members. Most of those training systems are focused on one side or the other, but there are a couple that bring community and police together. And we go out there and we provide these training systems. We've trained um, thousands and thousands of community members and thousands and thousands of police officers um, since we got started back in 2012. So uh, it's an honor to be here and I'm ready to get this thing rolling. But Jason, I want to I want to come back to, to to that. There are really two things I want to talk to talk about here. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, we definitely need uh, to the work that you do in building those relationships within our communities are so vitally important. But there's another issue that is very important, especially in these trying times last two years. You know, I've been in law enforcement for 29 years. Uh, you've spent a good bit of your your adult life as a law enforcement officer as well. And we've seen a transition, uh, the transition from uh, recognizing it was somewhat taboo to talk about some of the stressors that, uh, that affect law enforcement officers. And in reality, it was really a uh, we were doing a disservice of uh, of not talking about these issues. Uh, you know, studies show that uh, some, you know, 
average person might have maybe two traumatic events in their lifetime. A law enforcement officer may have 20, 10 or 15 within, a, within, within their first year on a job. And all of that takes effect on, 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 on law enforcement officers and their well-being. And I know you've got your own experiences as well. Let's talk about a little bit of that transition from, from talking about this very important issue, uh, how that has changed from when you first got into law enforcement, where it is now, and how it's impacted your career. Yeah, you know, my first couple of years, I got into some very serious use of force situations. And um, that was part of my trauma. But part of my trauma was also having to deal with a mother who rolled over and smothered her own kid. And unfortunately, that child is not with us because of that. There's so much trauma out there that we deal with. You know, there's police officers that pick up body parts along the side of a road after a traffic accident. Just horrific things. These are things, just like you said, that the majority of the community does not have to deal with. Definitely not as frequently. I believe the stats show that police officers engage in about 170 to 200 critical incidents throughout a 25 to 30 year police career. And these, these, these are very traumatizing situations. Now, when I first got on, and when I first got on, when, when we're talking about 2005, 2006, um, if something serious happened, I had a sergeant come up and check on me. And this is how the sergeant would do it. Hey, Jay, you're okay, right? And what am I going to say? He gave me the answer. And so that answer traumatized me even more because it told me that I wasn't allowed to be vulnerable, to have emotion, or to, to show what traditional people call as weakness, which really is strength. And so in 2010, unfortunately, I had numerous um, times where I sat down on my couch in my home and considered and contemplated different ways on how I was going to kill myself. It's very unfortunate to think about this, but if a police officer works a full career, there's a statistic that says that one out of every two police officers who work a full career will have suicidal ideations. That is crazy. And so when it comes to where we're at now, we've made a lot of headway into this resiliency and overcoming post-traumatic stress disorder, but also post-traumatic stress incident, because it's not always a disorder. Sometimes it's just a, cer a certain amount of, of incidents that really bring uh, bring this to the forefront and stress us out. So, um, yeah, I mean, I've I've had battles with it, and um, I'm very proud to say that I, you know, I consult for different companies. One of them, you know, being the company of Lexapol, and we are able to help out with different ways to battle resiliency. But um, I think I lost the question, Pat. <laughs> but I th but that that's that's really where. Uh, where we're at with, with my experience with this, with this stuff. We've made a huge change. The, the change is huge, and it needs to continue to move in the forward direction. Yeah, no doubt. And look, not, not only does it need to change uh, in, in reacting to, to these things, well, it, needs to be a, it needs to be more effort, more effort put on preventative. Uh, we lose more law enforcement officers to suicide by far, probably double than we do on any felonious actions uh, on any given year. Uh, and it, and my, uh, my belief is, is it's increasing now because of the demands that are placed on law enforcement because of, uh, because of just the climate that we, we exist in and the shortage of, uh, of manpower in, in our profession. But uh, I think a very important point here, and, and the important point is this, uh, when people join a professional law enforcement, they, they have psychological evaluations, they have physical evaluations, they all of these things to make sure that they're physically and mentally fit to, to do this job. And then we, we, we fast forward uh, to this exposure to all of these traumatic events. Well, we know a traumatic event can change somebody in, in a civilian life, uh, just uh, both physically and mentally. And somehow we, we ignore the fact that uh, we, that repetitive uh, trauma 
to law enforcement officers uh, is, is taking an effect. And that's why you see some of the issues in law enforcement. And we need to recognize that. When something is broken in the service of others, we have a moral and fiduciary responsibility to, to protect, uh, to fix that, has, which, which has been broken. And uh, so, so calling attention to, to just uh, the wellness of officers in a climate that exists today, uh, I appreciate you sharing your own experiences. And, and I think it's important because I think every law enforcement officer can kind of kind of uh, dig right into uh, to what you're talking about, what you're mentioning in your path, and, uh, and hope that uh, and know that there's no shame in, in having these discussions uh, to, to talk through these things. It's, uh, it's, it's vitally important. Um, unless you have more on that, I'll shift gears a little bit. There is, there is one more thing about one of the trainings that I think I could give this out and it may help somebody that's listening to this podcast, but I wanted to share a, a quick system called the 10 F's and these 10 F's were created by, you know, I think what most of law enforcement would call the godfather of risk management, a man named Gordon Graham. And these 10 F's are, I'm going to go through them very quickly, but if somebody's hurting, hurting right now or thinking about what they're, they may um, need to do better in, in their life, these 10 F's are a very good self-check system. So um, I, I think, Pat, that if we share them very, very quick, I'm just going to say them. But if you're listening to this podcast, if two or three of these 10 Fs are out of whack, it's time to get them back in line. If three or four of them are out of whack, then maybe considering seeking some physical, I mean, sorry, some, sorry, some therapy services or therapeutic services might be helpful when it comes to your brain, because we oftentimes go get a physical once a year. But how many times do we get a physical after that initial um, evaluation when we first get started? And just by going to a therapist, it doesn't mean you're weak. It actually, from my research, means you're strong. Um, unfortunately, the people that um, do take their lives, most of the time they don't make it to the therapist. And so by going to that therapist, it could interrupt the system. But real quick, the 10 Fs are, are faith, their family, their friends, fitness, food, <laughs> fun, funds, and your money. Freedom, future, and fulfillment. And I think where we're going to go from here is a little bit about how to build fulfillment through training. But those 10 Fs are something that I could be able to get out to anybody if they contact me. But uh, it's, it's part of our resiliency training, and it's something I just wanted to share with, with the audience. So thank you so much, Pat. I appreciate it. Great. And we'll put that up have that up on the screen as well. Yeah. Um, so, Jason, let's, let's shift gears just a little bit. Uh, you know, we, we talk about... Uh, that the I guess the the challenges that law enforcement's having and 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 all of the weight that's being put on law enforcement. Where you know for a period of time now we were blamed that everything wrong with society. Um, law enforcement officers were low hanging fruit on a on a on a, you know tree of failed uh, failed experiments or failed policies that uh, that make people feel hopeless. Uh, but some of that maybe uh, is is you know some of that. Uh, criticism of law enforcement may be warranted as well because it because there is a, a drastic difference between what we do and way the community perceives it uh, and, and it's something that we need to have more awareness with and, and, and be conscious of that and our inability to be able to have that communication both both uh, to and, and receiving as well with those that we serve has really created some of this uh, some of this animosity towards law enforcement uh, and, and the only way to get it back is to stop talking at each other start talking to each other. And that's where your program has had some tremendous success. Uh, you've uh, you've talked and, and, and lectured and and uh, to, to thousands and thousands of law enforcement officers and thousands and thousands of of community leaders. But there there are literally millions and millions more that don't that haven't gotten that message. So walk us through uh, this this dynamic of of. of tearing down some of these walls and becoming much more uh, interactive on both sides uh, within our community. Uh, if, if we're both working together towards a common goal of making our community safer 
and we recognize each one of our roles at doing so, then we're going to have a stronger community. That's right. Um, I think that the training, I mean, there's a number of trainings that we provide, but to, to, to look at how these trainings got created and kind of what, what came about for this, um, we have a training called 12 Tools. And the way that this came to be was um, there was an arrest being made in Long Beach. And I'll just to give you the paint the picture and the circumstances, there is a female, a white female and a black female fighting in the streets. The police officers get dispatched to that fight. And when the first police unit shows up on scene, there is nobody fighting. And the police officers identify these two females. People are pointing at them. So the police officers detain them for fighting in public. And they go to the computer and they run them for wants and warrants to see what's going on. Well, ultimately, the black female had a, a no-bail felony warrant out for her arrest, separate from the fight. Nobody wanted anything done with the fight. It was what is oftentimes considered kind of a mutual combat situation with no serious injuries. But the police officers, and when I showed up, the police officers are handcuffing the black female. Well, at that point, there is another black female across the street actually looking through a chain link fence and just screaming at the top of her lungs, you police officers are racist. This is horrible, right? And a whole bunch of expletives. I am a supervisor at the, no, I'm an officer at the time. And I pull up and I um, sit there and find out what the situation was, found out that there was this mutual combat situation, didn't know who started what, but nobody wanted anything done. But when the when the warrants were run, there was a Nobel felony warrant and the responsibility the community puts on the police is to take enforcement action on these felony warrants. So this black female was arrested. Well, when this lady was screaming, traditionally law enforcement officers are told to get in their car and drive away because if they stay there, bad things could happen, which sometimes do happen. But I thought otherwise. I thought, you know what? I teach engagement, so I'm going to walk up to this lady and I'm going to start speaking to her. Now, she's screaming at the top of her lungs and her voice was quite scary to me. But I said, you know, I'm going to walk up. And I walked up and she was filming with a cell phone and I walked right up to her and I, I asked her if I could speak to her. And I started by saying, excuse me, miss, my name is Jason and I know you're videotaping and you can keep videotaping. Just understand that the camera adds 15 pounds. So everybody is watching. <laughs> I'm not this heavy. Well, she started kind of laughing. She looked over and I said, what's wrong? And what she explained was incredible to me. She said, the white girl started the fight. Before you guys got here, the white girl jumped on that black girl and started beating her up. And when you guys showed up, you just arrested the black girl for no reason, just because she's black. And so I explained to her about the mutual combat situation. I explained to her that this that the African-American lady was wanted for a crime that was so serious that a felony warrant was put into the system and she's wanted by a judge for not showing up for some reason and that because of that, she could commit, she could possibly commit another crime in this community. <laughs> and as she was still filming, she puts the camera down, she pauses and this is a, a pause I'll never forget. I could see a light bulb go on her head. She looks at me and she goes, well, take her ass to jail then. Take her to jail. Get her out of here. And I said, you see, it's not always what we think it is. But it wasn't always what I thought it was for me either because I never would have wanted to make that engagement. 
And so after that, she put the camera away. I was able to shake hands with her, able to find out her first name. And before I know it, she's inviting me over for dinner. Now, I didn't have a chance to make it to dinner. But that was a powerful interaction because what is that lady going to do with that video now? What is that lady going to do to tell her children um, about what's going on now? What is the what is the the community see when I make that interaction? And it's just me going above and beyond to answer questions and to seek to better understand. So that's how the 12 tools got started. Um, and I know it was a little bit long, but I thought it was pretty powerful because a lot of the times in law enforcement, and I can say today, I, I see it, we're 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 um we don't know the value of those moments yet. We're still learning the value of those moments. So, uh, so yeah, so that, that, that's kind of how the training got started. I said, you know, when we seek to better understand the people we don't like, cause when I looked at her screaming, I'm gonna be honest with her, you and any judge or jury, I didn't like her. I didn't, I, I didn't have affinity towards her right there, but I had to be able to get past that. And I had to be able to go up there and engage, still maintaining safety, right? I'll tell you, a lot of times we don't realize this. Somebody that's holding the sign that says F the police. That person with the sign in their hand has never heard a police officer. Their hands are occupied. <laughs> so, so you know, we want to be able to think about those ideas. Now, there are other people that have come in and create some huge problems for a community um, during, you know, um, peaceful protests, which have turned into, you know, anarchy. But, you know, just thinking about those concepts is really important because that's the engagement that we can take for that next level to, to, to take the adult learner and give them some, some good information. Jason, you talk about the 12 tools. Um, can you go over those 12 tools real quick for us? Yeah, yeah. We'll go through them really, really fast. Um, you know, within 120 seconds, we can engage differently. Some of us are already doing this, so there should be a huge boost to morale as I go through these 12 tools. And that's what our training is about. If you go through our training and you're already doing it, we are going to help you check the box of wellness. Wow, I'm doing this. I can feel well doing this. If we go through this training and you're not doing it, then we want to be able to give you a skill set on how you can do it because it takes courage to try something new, especially because we're getting paid the salary we're getting paid. And in these businesses, no matter what business it is where you have a flat rate salary, it is very it's 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 a challenge to somebody to want to work even harder. Now, most of us do it. But we want to be able to see it. So the first tool is buying into a contact theory. Now, we're going to steal something from Dr. Lori Friedel, and she knows that we steal this. But there's a fair and impartial policing system that's trained um, uh, in different states across the country. And there's some similarities and some differences to our system. But what Dr. Lori Friedel did was she studied um, motorcycle contacts. And this is going to sound so simple. But when a motorcycle cop contacted somebody, if the contacted, if the, if the motorcycle cop communicated effectively and that person felt valued at the end of the contact, then safety occurred. And if that didn't happen, then there was a challenge to safety a lot of the times. And what we learn is this contact theory is the more times we spend 120 seconds making those positive contacts, whether it be prior to a call, during a call, at the end of a call, or doing, I don't know if anybody remembers these things, but there used to be these things called consensual encounters in law enforcement. That's where we got out of the car and we talked to people. <laughs> now, now they're a little bit scary and a little bit dangerous for us, but that's the first one is just make that, make that positive contact and buy in. The second one is to ask questions of our community. You know, it's really empowering just to ask somebody, you know, how do you think the police are doing around here? Is there anything that we could be doing better or differently? And hearing what they say. We don't always have to have a solution. We can always go back and say, we don't know the answer, but we'll figure it out for you. The third one is to get social media content. And man, is this crazy. There is no bigger time where a law enforcement company has to market themselves 
almost equivalent to McDonald's or Burger King now. It is a business that we have to market because we're marketing transparency and we're marketing cooperation. And so while we didn't, we never signed up to, to do anything other than be humble protectors, it's in the organization's benefit um, to market the positive social media because if the negative continues to rise, and we know it will, there's a lot of negative to social media, and law enforcement does nothing, look at what happens to this gap. Now, if we try and fight up, now we could at least have a little bit of a say in one of the number one communication tools and systems in the world. Now, when I talk about social media content, I'm not speaking about personal social media content, okay? And as the FOP spends some time working with people's personal social media, um, I want us to understand that departmental social media is where we really want to be able to put out that content. And that means sometimes us taking a knee and giving a kid a sticker. And if the mom wants to take a photo, that what, what do we do? We ask the mom if she could email that photo to our agency or to that social media manager and those kinds of things. You know, there's a lot of um, positive and negative to social media. So we want to be careful, but we really are going to need to embrace social media more than ever before. The next one is to battle cynicism and keep a positive outlook. Now, when we show up to a location, um, 111 Main Street, oh man, Pat, you you remember 111 Main Street, right? Oh yeah, Jay, I remember that spot. Yeah, that's where, the, that's where all the gangsters are. Well, we ultimately rile ourselves up and we want to be able to battle that because what that turns into is not skepticism, it turns into cynicism. And this is not always the case, but we want to challenge what's going to happen during our approach. During our approach, are we going to say, you know what, there is some criminal profiles out here and we're going to be skeptical about this? Or are we going to come in and say, man, this is a bad location. It's going to be bad. It was bad last time and it's going to be bad this time. And that's where cynicism plays in. We really have to be careful with that because sometimes that does trigger behaviors in us that we wish we could take back sometimes. So something to think about. The next one is to involve citizens and adapt to community needs. Look, when I walked across the street and spoke to that lady... I involved her in the law enforcement process. Ultimately, she felt like she was making the arrest, like she was really involved. I thanked her for doing that. And that's why, you know, if I don't get to speak about this, welcoming the cell phone camera is something that we should always be doing. There are times in the past, and I hate to admit it, but there are times in the past where police officers' flashlights might have slipped out of their hand and knocked somebody's cell phone camera out of their hand. And this is a very, very, very rare occasions that this may have happened. And that's because we didn't trust that somebody was filming us. But we're so, for the most part, we're so good at our jobs now that we should invite the camera. Most of us have body cameras on. So as long as they're not within that eight or 10 foot area, whatever's safe, let them keep filming. Now there is a danger if they start coming too close. That's a different story. But allow people to film. And if there's ch a chance to go over there and, and answer some questions, do that. But how else can we ad to adapt to community needs? Do we have a community resource form? Are we inviting people to do different things? Then the next thing is to welcome our services. If I show up and I tell somebody, don't ever call me, am I going to be building trust for next time? Now, I'm not saying that's happening. But just think about what the opposite of that is. The opposite of that is, is hey, I just want to say thanks for giving us a call. It was, a, it was really an honor to be able to be here. And, you know, if you didn't call, I wouldn't have anything to do. I'd have had to sit window to window and talk, talk to my partners about the negatives in law enforcement, right? Now, that's not also the case. But if you think about it, there's a big difference there. Just being vulnerable and thanking somebody for giving us a job, you know? Um, now, I know that there's a lot of people that misuse the systems, but just thinking about it from that mindset is really, really helpful, at least for me. 
um, then standing in front of your table, getting out of your car. You know, one thing that was really interesting and I thought about is I thought about this time where you've heard about if if uh, if you pull up window to window with a car, right? In the academy, they tell you if you pull window to window up uh, in the car, um, what w- what could happen to you, Pat? Well, well, that's pretty much every day. <laughs> so, but but it, yeah, it but blocks it, blocks your access and exit. Yeah, it blocks your access, and in in some academies, they tell you, you know, hey, that'll be very dangerous. You could pull pull window to window up with somebody and they could roll the window down and hurt you. You know, we make a joke. You know, you pull window to window up and somebody's going to pull a Uzi out and Uzi your face off. Right. Like it, 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 it's something that conceptually field training has talked to us in, in, the, in history about. And so we kind of got stuck with some of those things. But how about this? How about pulling window to window at a red light? Making sure we get our window to their window so we approach them. Right. So we ambush them. <laughs> Asking them to roll their window down. Excuse me. And just saying, hey, um, I'm Jason. I'm a police officer in the city of Long Beach. I just wanted to say hi. If you ever need us, just know that I might be one of the ones that comes out. And I just want to say thank you and be safe out there. I mean, people will pee-pee all over themselves. They won't know what to do. Like, that's the kind of in, in impact we have when we get out of the car in this uniform. Most people think we're superheroes, even most dangerous people. They think we're superheroes. And so we want to be able to go out and do that without, again, without jeopardizing safety. The last few are be curious before getting furious. <laughs> and that's that's an interesting one because oftentimes I get pretty infuriated, but I got to stop myself. And it's a good way for me to think about it when my five or seven-year-old does something real dumb, right? Uh, they almost broke a window this morning, right? And when they do this, this is something that's real dumb. I get really upset, but then I stop and I think, wait, have I talked to him about this yet? Have I, have I seek to better understand them? So that's the time frame where we're able to try and battle some of the thoughts and the bias that we might have. Then we want to engage children as number nine. And that's pretty, pretty much self-explanatory, but it's, you know, I mean, it sounds like a song, but the children are the future. So let's engage that future. Let's make this job who a lot of people don't want to sign up uh, to, to join right now. Let's make this job more approachable. Let's make this let's make this feel like what it really is, which is still what I believe is the best profession in the world. Um, and then self-check. How do we check ourselves? You know, there's Department of Justice uh, recommendations at both the state and, and federal levels that police supervisors come right behind a call and check up on the officer's work. You know, that, that may have some benefit, but I'd rather check on myself. I'd rather be able to check on myself. I'd rather welcome a supervisor when a supervisor is needed. You know, anybody, anytime I feel some tension, what would be wrong with calling a supervisor other than maybe upsetting somebody who could afford to do some more work? Because if a supervisor gets upset for you calling them out in the field, they could probably afford to do some more work. <laughs> so, you know, if you need them, use them, right? And obviously there's, there's, there's some small intricate details to that, but that's what that self-check is all about. Answering questions before they're asked, you know, Think about how many people you know think, I'm sorry, how many people that we think um, we engage with that say you should have shot the gun out of their hand or um, you should have given them the handcuffs to put on themselves or why are you searching them or why do you put them in a control hold or why do so many cars show up on scene of a call? So go up to a community member on scene and answer that question. Hey, did you ever think about why there were so many cars here? Yeah, as a matter of fact, we were just talking about that. Yeah, you know, most of the time it's because the cops are just bored. 
And in any business, if there was only one customer, there'd be a number of people going over there or whatever the circumstances might be. Just going out there and being transparent, people will open up and they will build so much more trust. And on-scene recruiting is the number one way to recruit in my mind. So we're also recruiting at that time. And then the last one is to be kind and rethink policing. You know, we have this OODA loop, this observe and orient, decide and act. And that's how we usually operate, especially in, in effective leadership, right? But when we're trying to observe from a different lens and we change not only our perceptions, but our perspectives, we operate a different way. Now, all of these things I spoke about conceptually can take 120 seconds of your day to really interact with and do. And so those 12 tools, by us embracing them and putting them into our tool belt, which, by the way, are bigger tool belts in here, especially me because I got a huge noggin. But most people's big, big tool belts are, are up here and we're able to go out there and we're able to engage differently. When supervisors embrace this, then we're able to have that communication. Hey, what tool did you pull out? Hey, what did you use? What'd you try and do? Do you seek to better understand? Did you self-check? Did you go out there and get out of your car? What was it that we tried to do to try and build trust? Now, make no bones about it, Pat. Violence is still always going to be necessary in law enforcement. There will be police use of force necessary. And I don't want anybody to think that during this conversation that we're saying that during a, a, a time where there's a need for force, we should be doing these things. I'm not talking about that. But we have to do a better job of explaining why we had to use force. We have to do a better job of trying not to use force, but knowing that force is going to be necessary. So I just want to make sure that all of our listeners know that this is not about us being soft. This is about us setting up the next contact for safety. Because the way that we close our contact today will either help or hinder safety with the same person looking at somebody in a similar uniform tomorrow. And no one can tell me I'm wrong on that. So we want to be able to keep that in mind. So those are the 12 tools. Jason, what you just identified is, uh, is, is, is the perfect model for successful businesses. They all share this in common. It's all about making it personal. Everyone, everyone, regardless of what their field is or profession uh, in our community or whether they're law enforcement or the community member, we all want the same thing. We want to feel valued. We want to feel that we matter. And when we take time to show each other that, then, uh, then we, what we do is we, we, we have better and stronger relationships. You know, at the end of the day, it's not so much the services we provide or the interaction we have. Really, at the end of the day, we're, what, what pays the greatest dividends is the relationships we were able to build around these things. And that's exactly what you've identified. What you've done is taken what a simple process that we all makes common sense and forces us to look at those 12 steps. And that's, that's really what the success of this is, isn't it? Stopping yeah, and thinking right. and recognizing what the perception, that perception of, uh, of, of that you have and, and others. So great, uh, great information uh, and certainly uh, one that uh, getting back to the basics can, uh, can make us uh, make our communities way much stronger. And Jason, this is not the only training class that you have. You have others. But, but tell me, I mean, you gave us the motivation of this, and it all started with a single interaction you had with someone. But you, you actually you have a passion for what you do here. And your passion has come over a period of time of dealing with people and listening to their perspectives on the opposite side of the way they view law enforcement. And I'm sure that there are probably some law enforcement officers, old school law enforcement officers who think that this really, uh, you know, isn't necessary. This is not what you do policing. And in reality, this is, this is 100% of what we do in policing. We serve a public. And uh, when, when we don't have trust with the public, then, then our system's broken. 
Uh, the very powers that we have as law enforcement officers are directly related to that trust. Uh, talk about some of these other initiatives that you that you have and some maybe some of the successes that you've had with them. Yeah, I really appreciate that. So, you know, our, our primary community training. Now, this started from community training, right? In 2011, I walked into a classroom and spoke to a group of kids and I had an interaction with a young man and he ultimately showed me that there are things that community members don't know. And if they don't know, how can they act on it? And that's crazy for me to think about, right? Like I thought everybody should know to cooperate with the police. It's common sense. Well, common sense is not always common, but not only that, if you haven't been taught that, then it can't be common sense. And so our biggest community training is called TAG or Together Achieving Greatness. And what we do is we partner police officers and community members together. So we'll take a police officer, a pastor, and maybe an ex-felon, and we'll bring them into the room and we'll engage with both youth and adults ages 13 to 80, and we'll go out there and teach them through scenario-involved training how to cooperate with law enforcement. And we do the scenarios not by us in the law enforcement role, but by them in the law enforcement role. So now they have to search uh, one of us. Well, we have a hidden and concealed fake plastic red firearm inside of our waistband. And after the search, they don't find it right now. They're searching without knowing any search techniques or anything else. And they, you know, it feels weird to, to search people, but after they have to go back to the car to write a ticket or summons or citation, um, they turn around and we remove this plastic firearm, fake firearm from our waistband and we put it up in the air and you could just see the complete shock in their face because they're saying, Oh my gosh, I can't believe that. Well, we train that way because the flip side is though community members will often stand on the street and say, why are you squeezing on my, my son? Or why are you bending him backwards? Why are you searching him? Well, because police officers don't know the one time they're going to contact somebody that might have that gun. And there is no look for somebody that has a firearm. It's not like there's not like a specific pinpoint like that person's got it. You know, it's not really that way. So that's what Together Achieving Greatness does for us. It also allows us to answer the tough questions and the difficult questions, which sometimes we've avoided. Um, law enforcement for a while were having town hall meetings and then they just got really quite hard to handle. And so, you know, we're having almost like little baby town hall meetings during these trainings and just being able to answer questions. That's kind of how the community training works. We have a number of different programs in the community. We operate in jails. We operate in prisons. We have a resisting arrest diversion program for um, resisting arrest where um, the officer is not injured in different counties. We have all different kinds of stuff. But then on the police side, is where I think that we're also making some great strides. You know, we have a, a program called CP21, and that CP21 is our primary program. And what it does is it teaches police officers a system of wellness. And that sounds really weird, but we review we re um, our boundaries again. When we know our boundaries, we understand more about accountability, and that is a wellness aspect. We look at de-escalation, strategic communication, and community trust building. We just learn about becoming more of who we are at home, at work. See, that process of us putting on this uniform and turning into this superhero, part of that has to happen. But part of it doesn't have to happen. And so when we come in and we put this, this, this heavy material and equipment on, now we have to take time to get into that role. Well, then we have to take time to get out of that role. 
Every time we come up and we come down and we come up and we come down, that's not good on us. That's not good on us physically. It's not good on us emotionally. So just becoming more of who I am, Jason at home and who I am, Jason at work without jeopardizing that safety. So CP21 just helps us to seek to better understand us and seek to better understand people we, we deal with. And then a couple of other programs that I really enjoy. Um, I go out and I speak, especially to groups of police chiefs about being the change and taking the reins. We have got to take control back. And I think everybody understands that. You, you Nobody wants somebody to be control, controlling the other side or fully controlling. Now, a lot of community members think police control the community. I would disagree. I think the bad cops or the cops that are struggling make communities feel like they're being controlled. But I think the majority of the police officers out there are out there serving and not making them feeling, feel, feeling that control. But we want to improve the future of policing. Right now, we're on a wild brunk. And we are the ones riding it, but somebody else is holding the reins. That's an uncomfortable spot to be in. And I'm not that athletic, Pat. I don't know about you, but I'm going to get bucked off. And so we want to be able to make a difference. So that's a good leadership one that I speak on. Um, I speak on stop, stop resisting, which is crazy. But some of the words that we utilize, there may be a little bit better meanings to things. Like if somebody is, if I need somebody to put their hands behind their back, it'd be way easier for me to say, put your hands behind your back instead of stop resisting. <laughs> it's just, it just makes more sense to me. So understanding those kinds of concepts. We talk about leadership. We have some leadership trainings where we talk about the buy-in and how we positively influence subordinate behaviors. But not only that, we can influence peer behaviors and we can influence superior um, or, 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 or the behaviors from our bosses, right? We can influence those behaviors. We just have to be smart about how to influence them. Uh, answering the why, taking this 21st uh, century generational perspective, right? Gen Y, Gen Z, Gen double Z, Gen what? There's a lot of why going on. And for probably people like me and you, we were probably raised to just do it. Like, hey, why? Because <laughs> I told you so. Well, we want to be able to have a little bit of a change to the new generation because if we don't change and adapt, who's going to want to become a police officer, especially when they were raised in that environment? So answering the why is really important. But we have a ton of training programs and training systems, whether it be through keynote speaking somewhere in the country or through, you know, us putting on classroom settings. We're so proud we're going to be in Palm Beach County um, for a six day stretch. We're going to start that up. We're going to be in Indiana. We're going to we just uh, did something with Idaho. We're going to start working with Arizona and, and possibly getting post certified in the state of Arizona. And then in California, we're the number one provider of uh, this type of training in the state, uh, which is post certified. And we're super excited to be able to say that last year year, you know, we put on um, 61 programs. Uh, I say this last year, we're not done. But since January 1, we put on 61 CP21 programs, which is the big post certified training system. So I mean, it, it's, it, it's, it's an honor and a blessing to be able to do this. But we're always learning as we go. And we're always looking for people to contribute. But a training has to start off by answering the why of the trainee or the adult learner. And if we can't answer that why, then all we're doing is checking boxes. And I don't need you to answer this, um, but how often are we going out there and learning how to be a police officer through check the box type of training? And so we want to be able to try and make some changes um, so we learn how not only to not only to think in color, but also train in color. Right now, some of our training is in black and white, and then we're out there getting scrutinized in color. And that's that's something that I'd like to see change. You know, Jason, we started this off talking about officer wellness, and then we went into uh, making uh, people on both sides of the badge uh, feeling valued. And initially when it started, probably asking a question, why do these two things connect? But they 
they connect for a very solid reason, and that is is that when law enforcement officers uh, engage in, in, in the activities that we're talking about and building those relationships, then it helps mediate some of the uh, the damage done by all of the uh, trauma, trauma that's been created over the years. Jason, thank you for, for joining us. And thank you for being, you know, such a solid voice for, for change and uh, in, in improving the climate uh, in our communities, making our communities stronger. Um, I'll let you finish up by telling us one of the things that, uh, that, uh, that you're most proud of in, in your accomplishments. I appreciate that. Um, in a, uh... 2013, I walked into a high school called Woodrow Wilson High School in the city of Long Beach. It might have been 2012. And uh, I put on a presentation. And I saw a young lady walk in late. I saw her sit down. I saw her fidget. I saw her not pay attention. And it was hard for me to recognize her, but she stood out in a sea of about six, 700 youth inside of this auditorium. And I like to make the youth laugh and I like to, you know, I, I like to do something called crip walking and I dance, I clown walk, I, I do all the, I rap on stage. I mean, all different kinds of really weird stuff, right? Just to try and motivate the group. And this young lady didn't laugh. She didn't pay attention. She just wasn't with it. And so what I did was I called her up on stage for the next scenario. I put her through the scenario. While I put her th- through the scenario, I could smell marijuana emitting from her body. She was 14 or 15 years old. And she allows me to tell this story, but her name is Jasmine Simpson. And Jasmine Simpson, who is an adult now, she ended up um, going through this training, leaving the training. And I at no point knew that I had made any impact on her. And a few weeks later, I got contacted by the school resource officer in Long Beach. Um, And he told me, he said, I got to show you something. And I was a very, I was very busy and I was like, what's up, Brad? Tell me about it. No, no, no. We got to meet up. So I went and met up with him and he handed me a poem. And that poem was entitled, I used to hate you. Now the poem is about 13 lines and it starts off. I used to hate you. It speaks about putting her father in jail. It speaks about brutalizing her family. It speaks about the fact that all she did was all she thought that police officers did was ruin lives and eat donuts. But at the end of the present, at the end of the poem, the 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 last line is, "I used to hate you, but now I want to be just like you." And it was powerful because that was the second day out of the whole semester that she actually showed up to school. She was a habitual truant, a runaway, taken him from the Department of Children and Family Services and put in different situations. And Jasmine Simpson now is a thriving individual who helps out. Why'd you stop me? She has two children. She's married. She has a great life. I'm still in contact with her. And to be able to see those bonds take place are very important. But I wouldn't have let that bond take place if I didn't seek to better understand somebody that I might have thought was an a-hole. And I have to be able to look look myself in the mirror and say, this person's bothering me and I don't like them. But how could I find a way to find affinity towards this person? Because now she's a huge advocate. She travels around. She has helped out our organization. And we're really proud to see the positive of that. And I have, luckily, um, God has put me in a position to have, I think, hundreds of those stories. But it's really about that type of work. And we can do that on scene of a traffic stop, whether it be a regular traffic stop or a high-risk traffic stop. We can do those things. We can find those times. We can figure out those pieces. And I believe that's a missing piece between the 800,000 people who go out there and risk their lives knowing that there's a chance they won't go home. 
And by them going out there and risking their lives, I just want to say thank you. I want to say thank you to everybody that goes out there and does this job. Because in January, I left the job to go and do a, a different aspect of law enforcement. But I miss it every single day. And I know that this job is getting harder and harder for people that are not ready to take the reins. If we take the reins, the job does not get as harder and harder and harder in our head. We just go out there and we do business. And so that's really what happened to me was to be able to see that change in Jasmine. It showed me that I can continue to change and I can continue to grow. So uh, she really helped to move this organization forward. I honor her. And, and so that's one of the stories, Pat. I'll, I'll tell you the, uh, the story of Jasmine uh, just uh, proves the point you made all along. It's all about relationships. And uh, sometimes those relationships are just waiting. You don't know what baggage people have. They carry, uh, they carry a lot of stuff with them. Uh, and you can, you can choose to either let that define it, uh, your interaction with them, or you can, uh, you can be that, uh, that, that, that one voice that made a difference in their lives. So thank you, uh, thank you, Jason. If somebody wants to know more about your organization, how can they go about that? Sure. The, the, the website is wisdom.org. It's uh, just like Why'd You Stop Me, the acronym W-Y-S-M.org. But I'll tell you right now, I'm a big social media guy. Um, I, I, it's, it's a, it's a safety hazard for everybody, but I'm well-trained. <laughs> um, and I'd like, I'd ask you to follow me on social media. It's uh, Jason Lehman, 64, J-A-S-O-N-L-E-H-M-A-N-6-4. And also our, 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 why'd you stop me? Social media is team wisdom, T-E-A-M-W-Y-S-M. If I could ever go anywhere to be able to help out with a training or to be able to speak to somebody, you can always email us at info at wisdom.org, W-Y-S-M dot O-R-G. Well, thank you, Jason. And to our viewers, thank you for tuning in to The Blue View, where we talk about the issues that are vitally important to the men and women who suit up and show up every single day and make a difference in the communities they serve. Thank you and stay safe. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. To get the latest from the National FOP, make sure to follow us on Twitter and Facebook at GLFOP and on Instagram at FOP National. Thanks again. We'll see you next time.